Hey, this is DJ, and you're listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I'm a travel hacker and personal finance coach, and I'm here to teach you how to travel for free or for a fraction of the cost. In this podcast, I'll share my tips and tricks on how to earn points and miles, get free flights and hotels, and save money on your next trip. I'll also interview other travel hackers and experts to learn more about the latest trends and strategies. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned traveler, I hope you'll find this podcast helpful and informative. So sit back, relax, and get ready for takeoff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Traveling on Purpose. I'm DJ, and as you know, I do not introduce the guests because I am not good at encapsulating their story. So I always hand it over to the guests to let them introduce themselves. But oh my gosh, we have such a special guest today. I'm very, very excited that she's here. Julia, could you please tell the people about who you are? Hello, everybody. My name is Julia. I host the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, and I teach people how to travel on points and miles and turn the expenses that you have to be paying anyway, all those regular bills, into points and how to make the most out of those points so that you can fly in maybe business class or first class or just a whole bunch of economy flight for next to no cost. So that's what I do. Lovely. Now, of course, we have to go back a little bit. Can you please tell us how in the world did you get into this crazy thing called travel hacking? Well, way back in the beginning, before travel hacking ever crossed my mind, I was an actuary in my previous life. And when you're an actuary, you spend most of your time studying for exams. Like you are heads down. You don't really have much of a life. And then one day I was done with that. I passed all the exams and I had way too much energy. And my husband was like, girl, you need a hobby. You need something else to study and preoccupy your mind. So he introduced me to these different personal finance blogs back in the day, like Mr. Money Mustache, Afford Anything, Go Curry Cracker, Mad Scientist, all of those. And he was not ready for how deep down the rabbit hole of these personal finance blogs I was about to dive into. And a lot of the personal finance blogs were like, oh, you can save on travel by using points and miles and getting these high rewards credit cards. And I thought, wow, that's a scam. Yep. Definitely a scam. But I just kept seeing it more and more. And I was like, well, okay, maybe I should like look into this, just get one card, one or two cards. So we met our signed up bonuses, got our points. And then our first redemption was actually not intentional at all. We had met our sign up bonus by booking a trip to Morocco. It was just a cheap cash flight. But then we booked a tour guide who was in charge of our hotels, our excursions, our transportation, food, everything. And about 20 hours before we were going to get on our plane, he emails and says he has to cancel on us because they have a family emergency. So we're about to go to Morocco. We have no hotels. We have no one to pick us up from the airport, no excursions planned, nothing. And I'm like panicking. So we had just earned the sign bonus and I called American Express reading some script off of some blog being like, hello, I can travel for free. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, you have enough points for three free nights at the Sheraton Casablanca. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And then I will figure out the other nights once we are there. So that was the first time that we ever redeemed points was like me trying to figure something out with an Amex rep over the phone. But then we got there. The Sheraton people, they were so nice. They were like, you have status with the card. So you get an upgrade, you get free breakfast, you get all this nice stuff. And from there, we were pretty hooked. So that was how I got into it as a hobby. But then I was like, okay, how do I get more and more and more points? And the answer was business credit cards. But I didn't have a business. 
And I didn't realize that you can get business credit cards with selling on Facebook Marketplace or driving for Uber or something like that. I thought I had to start like a real business. Mm -hmm. So I opened a travel agency. I don't know if a lot of people know GeoBreeze Travel actually started off as a travel agency that I opened purely so I could open business credit card. And I got some clients and I hated being a travel agent. And I was doing this like while I was still an actuary too. And I was like, this is not worth anything. This is not worth my time. And every time I got client inquiries, I was just like, you can get it for free. You can fly for free using points and miles. So eventually the pandemic hit and I was like, this is my moment to just be like travel agency shutting down. We are not in business anymore. So I closed it down and I still had all of the website and the Instagram and everything. So I just started making content about points and miles and eventually it grew into what it was now. I started the GeoBreeze Travel podcast mostly because I wanted other people to tell me all their tips and tricks with how they're doing points and miles. It was the pandemic, so I was lonely. I just wanted people to talk to as well. So I was messaging all these people on Instagram being like, hey, do you want to like hang out over Zoom? Tell me all your point secrets. And they were like, no, that would be weird. I'm like, oh, what if I record our conversation and then release your secrets? Thousands of people on the internet. And then they were like, oh, like you're starting a Points and Miles podcast? And I said, yes, I am starting a Points and Miles podcast. Would you like to be a guest? And that is how the podcast started was I wanted free consulting from people. Wow. What a story. Hold on. We have to go back. I love doing this with guests because it's so easy to gloss over these really pivotal points in life. You went to school to become an actuary. Can we talk about that for a second? I don't know any actuaries. You would be the first person I've ever met who was an actuary. Did you hear about this profession? How did you get into it? So when we were in eighth grade, we take all of these career assessment tests that are like, here's what you should do when you grow up. And here's the high school classes that you should take. And actuary was like one of the first things listed alphabetically. So I just like circled and I was like, yeah, I'll do that. At that moment, it was decided, again, dove really deep into this. When I was 17, I went to actuary camp. So I think we should back up and explain what an actuary is. It is deep math. It is like deep mathematical modeling. I was a health insurance actuary. So I was pricing out like how likely people were to get sick and how much insurance would cost and all the catastrophic health claims that people were going to get. So it's deep math. And yeah, I went to actuary camp when I was 17 because I love free stuff. Anybody who is following me on Instagram is like she loves free first class tickets and all that. Well, I had never been to camp and this camp was free if you showed interest in the profession. So I was like, I'm going to show all the interest in the profession. I want to go to camp for free. I got to go to camp for free and you just do camp things, but they put like insurance lessons behind it. We would go bowling one day and they would put us in teams and then you would collect data on how many strikes the other team got. And then you'd have to make a model. You'd have to like forecast how many strikes they're going to get the next day based off of one day of data. And then you would try to make a predictive model for like how much strike insurance should we take for the other team. So we did like normal camp things, except with an insurance twist. Is there an age limit on this camp? Because that sounds really cool. For people who are about to go into their senior year of high school. Okay. Ah, and another life. Maybe I'm just a geek, but you kind of made that sound cool. I figured it was a lot more boring than that. So clearly you took this test. You did well on the math part of this test, which is why actuary was on that list in the first place. Is that true? You're just pretty good at math? I am pretty good at math. Okay. Now, was there any point along the journey between when you took that test and you decided you were going to be an actuary? Was it pretty interesting to you that whole time? You're like, this is fascinating. 
I like being an actuary, but there comes a lot of other tests. So I just said, like, I'm very good at math. Everyone taking these tests is really freaking good at math. So from like age 19 until 25, I think, is how long it took me to get through all the actuarial exams. There's eight. And so the way that these work is you're just heads down studying for about four months on and then two months off because it takes two months to grade all the exams. So you're just waiting for two months to see if you pass or not. And these are things deep statistics and financial math and modeling financial economics and life contingencies. And that's the first half of the exams. And then the second half is health insurance law of PPACA and the Affordable Care Act and all of that. Yeah. So that was my life for a while, aka lack thereof. I had no life for a while. That was the hard part of being an actuary was to get through all of the different exams. And they say, once you're done, you're just sitting pretty in like a really well high paying career. And it's hard for other people to get into it because the barrier to entry is so high. So obviously it makes no sense to get through your exams and then decide I'm going to switch careers and become an Instagram influencer. But thank you. you know, here we are. It makes no sense at all. Believe me, we are going deeper on this subject because you were an actuary for how many years professionally? Nine years. So nine years. Yeah. Okay. At what point did your husband say, we need to get you a hobby? Like how soon into the career was that? I think he said that every time I was off season for exams, because fun fact, I was my husband's first girlfriend. So he was like, this is what dating is like four months where you just like provide emotional support and she freaks out about exams. And then like you hang out, do stuff in the summer for two months. You provide emotional support for four months while playing video games and being like, they're there. And then that just went on for six years. And then when I was done with exams, I was let's hang out all the freaking time. And he was like, I need video game time. You need yeah. a hobby. It was about that point where he was like, you need a hobby. And okay. personal finance happened. Yes. For those who don't know, Mr. Money Mustache, Phil Curry Cracker, mentioned science. Ah, oh, gosh, I forget his name. Mad Scientist. Mad right. Scientist. Thank you. Yes. We're talking about the FIRE movement. Here's a really important question. You're good at math. You're doing actuarial science. You're learning all this stuff. At what point did you learn about personal finance in your professional education? Like, did they teach anything in high school? Were there any personal finance tests you had to take? Or like, did you just have to pick the stuff up on your own? We had a personal finance class in high school. And it was more like life skills, more so than personal finance. Because it was like, here's how to write a check. That didn't ever come in handy in life. <laughs> but it was like, here's how to fill out an apartment lease. Here's how to fill out a job application. And so with that came a little bit of, hey, maybe don't spend more than you make. Here's how to read a pay stub. Here's how to figure out how much money you actually have. And don't spend more than that. That was the extent of personal finance. We didn't learn about investing or anything then. That I learned through the blogs when my husband was like, you need a hobby. So I was about 26 or 27 when we learned about that. Time out for a second. Where did you go to high school? Because that's actually way more than most people learn. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City. It was a pretty good school district. We had AP classes and it was a pretty good school district. That's awesome. Like shout out to your old school. Who could have seen that the check was going to become a thing of the past? So no fault to them about that. Yeah, that's really great that they taught you how to read a pay stub and everything. But like you are saying, there's a lot of missing information that you had to pick up on your own. So when you discovered the FIRE movement and you were like, hold up, what did you think retirement would be like for you? Did you think it was going to happen like around 65 and all that? Is that what you thought before the FIRE movement? Kind of. But I also could see there was a huge gap between what my husband and I were making and how much we were spending because actuaries are paid quite a bit. And my husband's a software engineer. So that's a pretty high paying career, too. And we had all this money coming in from just our salaries, but we couldn't spend any of it because 
I was just heads down studying. So we didn't really have time to go out to eat. I would just, all right, like we're going to get the groceries. Meal prep is in the fridge. Rice is the easiest thing to cook and it's cheap. Mm -hmm. I just like dump stuff in my rice cooker that I got as a graduation present from high school. I had that rice cooker for a long time. It was my graduation present. And just do that, stick some chicken or salmon in the oven. And then I am in a great t-shirt right now for everybody who's listening to this on audio. I don't have the best fashion sense, so I wasn't going out buying clothes or shoes or anything. And I didn't really have time to go out with friends. So we were making really high salaries and I was just kind of sitting there. And by the time I was done with exams, we had a pretty big pile of money because we made so much and didn't ever know how to spend it. And through the personal finance blogs, I was like, instead of putting it in a savings account, we should put it in like the S&P 500 or something like that. And then if you just do that, because you don't have a life for five or six years, it just compounds over time. And then one day we were like, oh, millions of dollars. I'm also a big fan of the S&P 500 and doing very little work when it comes to investing. I do not watch the stock market and do all that crazy stuff. I'm a big fan of your style. Did you think you were going to be an actuary forever? I did. I thought, okay, once I'm just done with exams, it's like smooth sailing into being a senior director and then a vice president of everything. I can just make strategic decisions and I already know things. So I'll just outsource it to all the analysts. Senior directors do more than that. But that's just what I thought my life was going to be like, where I'm like, yeah, I'll just work my way up the corporate ladder and make more money and then have a big house and take my vacations every year. And that's just what I thought life was going to be like. And that is not what I do now. No, far from it. And so how in the world do you get from you're living this good life? Where's travel in all of this? The entire time that I was an actuary, I kept trying to get into our global department because I was like, my job will pay for me to travel around the world and I can do international pricing for health insurance for expats and stuff. And eventually I made it to the global department and it was my favorite role. Wow. And it was during the pandemic, so all was shut down. So they were like, you must price everything from here. <laughs> so that happened. It was very hard to get into the global department. They only had a few roles open. And so all the other times I was, well, we can just travel on our own, use up our usual vacation days, do things like that. And then once I was in the global department, my boss actually, while we were having our check-ins and development talks and everything, he's like, if you work your way up the corporate ladder, you want to make sure that you're developing strategic insights and being able to think strategically and piece different things together. So you should get a hobby that involves strategic thinking. I guess he meant play video games. I asked him later what hobbies involve strategic thinking. He's like, I thought you would like take up StarCraft or something <laughs> for fun. Yeah, um, yeah. When he was like, oh, yeah, I should take up a hobby for strategic thinking. I was like, I should start an Instagram business. I should like learn Instagram strategy and like marketing strategy and all of that. Because sometimes people give me advice and I take it to level 12. So that was well, one of those times. Yep. Have you always been this ambitious? Where did you pick this up from? Like that was just who you were from the beginning? Yeah, I was just a tiger child. I did not get invited to very many birthday parties as a kid. So your travel dreams get shut down. But meanwhile, you've been developing this hobby around the fire movement. You're hearing some things about getting these reward credit cards, but you're sure it's a scam. At this point, when I was working global, that was 2019, 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I had the Instagram already and I was just producing content of my own vacations. The podcast had started. Somehow I was making money through the internet. 
The Instagram was growing and then eventually it was time to go for promotion and I was a senior manager. So the next step was director and they were like, okay, well, you should go for promotion. And I asked my other friend who had recently got a promotion and I just remember her saying, girl, it is not worth it. I got a 20% raise and I work 100% more hours and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. So then rather than just going straight into being an influencer, I interviewed with some other actuarial companies and I got a job at this consulting startup and I was bamboozled into that. They ran out of money so fast. Five months into that job, we have no money. You have no job. Why was I here? So at that point, when was this? February of 2022, I guess. Well, I have no job. Good thing we've got all that fire money. Good thing I've got mm-hmm. Instagram money. So I once again started interviewing for other actuarial jobs and I'm pretty picky with the jobs that I'll take which is a wonderful thing about having fire money is you can be picky. So it took me two months to find a job offer that I like and it paid really well. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. But by then, GeoBreeze was making a bit of money because all of the 40 hours a week or whatever that I was putting into a normal job, I was, well, I guess I'll just develop my own stuff. And it started paying off. So then I was, well, I'll just go ahead and turn down that job offer. I'll just oh do my gosh. And that's how we're here. Okay. As someone who struggles with social media and I don't know how to do marketing, I'm really bad at all that stuff. Were you already deep into Instagram before you started this? So you're like, I'm going to try Oh, this. no. I didn't have an Instagram before. So that same boss, he asked me to open an Instagram so that I could stalk his girlfriend, now wife at the time, and figure out what kind of engagement ring he should get her uh-huh. based off of her Instagram photos. Man, I'm a math person. I'm not an artsy, aesthetic person but he was can you just look at her instagram and tell me what kind of ring to get her well she's posted a lot of photos of noodles so (laughs) i don't know what you want me to do with that but yeah i did not have an instagram i didn't really know how instagram worked and when i started geobreeze was kind of a content thing i was okay well what angle do i want to go with this from i just wanted free consulting from people on the podcast and i was okay what kind of content doesn't currently exist with points and miles So about three years ago, everything was a blog. Everything was a tall white dude with a blog. And they would not link to each other. They would just be, use my links and don't acknowledge that other people exist because then, God forbid, your audience discovers somebody else exists and then uses their links. And then you lose that on the commission. So I was like, what if I just do the exact opposite of all of that? I am not tall, not white, not a dude. We've got three check marks already. We're good to go. Mm -hmm. And then I don't writing. So I said, well, what if instead of writing, I just talk? So we do videos and podcasts and stuff. And what about instead of focusing on me and what I know about points, we just feature other people's perspectives all the time. So it's going to be more of an interview show rather than my thoughts or a lot of the points podcasts are reading off the news of what's the latest promos. Mm -hmm. Instead of news stuff, I'll just do evergreen concepts and be like, hey, tell us about a trip you planned. If someone wanted to recreate it, how would they go about doing that? So just by doing the exact opposite of what was already available on the market, that really helped to grow the brand. And it really also helped that I was featuring different people every week because my audience would discover them, their audience would discover me, and it just really helped to find a lot more people. And I really, really wanted to make sure that the brand was not greedy slash thirsty of only use my links. I don't want you to discover anyone else. So at the end of each episode, since the beginning, I would make people do a shout out, name somebody else who has really helped you with your points and miles journey. So then we tag that person. So hopefully at least two people would share each episode, the person being interviewed and the person getting a shout out. So that's kind of how that evolved. You said you dive deep into things. I cannot forget about this because I want to go back a little bit to the travel agency part. So you were starting a business so that you could get the business credit cards. 
you decided to open a travel agency. Can you talk to me about how you learned about being a travel agent and how you actually got into this? And then tell me about the journey of because it ended differently than probably how you thought it would. But yeah. I think I Googled around how to become a travel agent and they're like, well, you want a host agency because the host agencies are able to negotiate with the hotels and cruise ships and everything for better rates. So then you would come in as kind of an affiliate or a worker for the host agency. So then I started Googling, okay, who are all the host agencies? Do I have to pay membership or how do commissions work for all of these? So I found, I wish I remember the name of the website. It's been so long, but it was just seven days to becoming an affiliate of a host travel agency. And it was things how to come up with a brand and a logo and a whole bunch of other things that don't really matter at all when it comes to business. With business, all that matters is do you have a way to sell stuff and process payments and deliver stuff? And that's really all you need. But they were how to pick a color scheme. No one cares. Literally no one cares. But then I was, okay, do I need an LLC? And it's all of every single entrepreneur thing that people make fun of on the internet these days of what font are you going to use on your website? Are you going to use WordPress or Squarespace? Things that don't matter. You just mm-hmm. figure out where you're going to sell, have a way for people to pay you for it, and then actually do the thing that you told people you're going to deliver. So that was how I became a travel agent for a little bit was I signed up under a host agency and didn't love it. Okay. There was anything wrong with the host agency. I was just, this is grueling work for not a lot of money because you're paid on commission. Let's say it was a 10% commission on a trip. You have to convince somebody to pay $2,000 into something and then you only get 200 and then you get taxes taken off on top of that. That is a hard sell. I would much rather just have somebody pay me for consulting service. Hey, it's going to cost you $500. I'm going to get $500 minus processing fees. It's just a lot better value without having all that middleman stuff. So in that program, it taught you everything from font to actually going into the system and booking the trips. Was it hard to pick up that skill? And what would be grueling about it for those who are out there who are thought about this? Their tech platform were not good. And I could go directly to a hotel website and be like, the rate is better over there. These aren't even good negotiated rates. Whoa. So it was just difficult. Or This commission depends on me selling a subpar product to people, which I didn't want to do. I really, really hate working with bad tech systems. <laughs> Well, I commend your integrity. So, and you also said that you'd be having these meetings with people. So you've gotten over the scamminess, the worrying about whether this is a scam, you know, kind of the travel hacking and all that. You tried it for yourself and now you're telling people about it. How are they responding to you telling them that they could do this for free? Were you getting the same reactions that you initially felt? Because it's a very different demographic of people who are into points and miles versus book me a cruise. But also, I think I enjoy working with people who are, oh, I want to learn the deep dives of points and miles more so than just book me a cruise. And then fighting about 20% for coupon codes here or there. Okay. And so you're seeing some positive traction around explaining this to people. There's people who kind of get excited about, hey, I really, I kind of light up. Did you feel yourself lighting up as you were teaching people how to do this? I did. And it's also just fun for myself learning how all of this works because I was getting to book all of these trips too with Point to Mass. Oh, this is really cool. Getting to fly business class and getting to stay at these really nice resorts for free. And I wanted to make sure that other people had the opportunity to do that too, because I just didn't really see anybody who looks me or who looked you in the industry getting to promote any of this and just being, hey, look, I'm in business class. It was very homogenous. I think it is much less homogenous now, three years later. So it's pretty impressive how far Instagram and just the world can go. See other people getting to experience this too. Because some people have a problem charging. 
right? So you have this knowledge, you're giving it away for free to help people. When did you go, I am going to just go ahead and charge for this because I think it's worth it. Was that an issue for you? Did you kind of struggle with that or you were nah, this is, I know exactly what to do. In the beginning, the one-on-one consults were free, mostly just because I wanted to, do I know what I'm talking about? And I could make money off the back end with affiliate links and stuff. With credit cards, people use my links. So I was just doing it for free. And then eventually I decided I should charge $10 because people keep signing up on my calendar and then not showing up. And that was very annoying to me when people don't keep their appointments. So I charged $10 just to please show up to your appointment. And then the 10 eventually became $25 and then became $50, $60, $100 an hour, $200 an hour. I don't even charge hourly now. I just have a one-on-one consult or one-on-one package for business owners and individuals who spend $100,000 a year. This isn't going to scale and I don't want to spend my entire day on -on one-on-one calls. So eventually the Patreon started where people could pay 5 or $10 just to jump on a group call and, okay, no matter how many people sign up, I'm only spending one or two hours on the actual call. So I could make it way more affordable for everybody that way because once I was charging over $60 per hour, it felt a lot to a lot of people and it still wasn't worth it for me at $60 an hour. We could do something else for $60 an hour. There's so many other things and so many other ways to use my time. So that's kind of how the group coaching came up was, was, oh, well, it's only $5. And then if I get at least 12 people in there, then it works just as well. And so we were able to scale that way. And then at some point, Instagram went viral. So that was cool. That's helped us to scale in other ways as well. You mentioned raising the price. This is something that you said it as if it was just a natural thing. You know, it started here and then we went to there. And how did you know it was okay to raise the price, when to do it? What's your thought process around raising prices? Oh, I raise my prices every time somebody annoyed me because there's this thing called the resentful rate. Imagine what the minimum thing is. If you say you're tutoring high school students or something in math, I would absolutely walk away from this if they only offered X amount per hour, where if you're just, this kid sucks, I will not accept $15 an hour for this. Whatever Mm -hmm. that resentment rate is, just charge two times that. So even if that kid is very, very annoying to you, you're getting $30 per hour. And so if you're a college student who's tutoring a high school student and you're getting paid $30 to deal with this kid and get him through SATs, you'll do it. And so that was just kind of how I raised my prices where I'm just, okay, well, I just had the most annoying one-on-one call ever. So I guess my prices are going up. So at least maybe I'll have fewer one-on-one calls. And also, as I raised my prices, all the people who were fighting me over $5 stopped showing up. So that also helped because then it was just getting people where I think you can get me at least $50 out of this. And so now we're at the point where I'm working with business owners and individuals who are like, I think you can get me tens of thousands of dollars out of this. I don't charge tens of thousands of dollars, but we make sure that we only work with people where that is going to yeah. And maybe it had something to do with feeling you had a safety net, but it's kind of amazing. You just really sort of took charge here in the business. Your ability to adapt and react to how you're feeling in the world around you is pretty impressive. And you seem to do it really fast. You learn and iterate pretty fast. A lot because on the podcast, it grew enough to where people were offering to do ad spots and they're like, hey, do you do sponsorships on the podcast? And I'd have ad segments, podcasts too. And eventually, again, it was just not worth the time to pitch people, to hound people down for paying their invoices. I really don't chasing people down for money. And so, okay, in the time it would take me to pitch a podcast sponsor, and they're all, what's all the ROI? What's all of this? It's much easier for me to demonstrate the return on investment for a high ticket client, which one high ticket client is paying me these days as much as a podcast ad person would. And I can take on a lot more clients and then hire client managers and do things like that. But if I were to take on eight or 10 podcast spots in a month, 
nobody wants to listen to a podcast with eight or 10 ad segments in there. So now my podcast doesn't have ads. It's just free value. I filled out my YouTube paperwork wrong. So that got demonetized. That's free value out of there. One of these days, I will figure out that YouTube AdSense thing, but I apparently really suck at paperwork. So there we are. Yeah, you are very savvy, I would say, even though your yeah, ability to fill out paperwork. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm terrible at paperwork too. But it's funny, you could be an actuary and that means something is up with the YouTube paperwork. I'm going to blame it on the on YouTube because if you could figure out actuarial science. Anyway, the question that I have for you, can you say again, very plainly, what type of clients you to work with these days? Where's your sweet spot? The sweet spot for one-on-one -on -one clients is business owners and individuals who spend at least $100,000 a year on business expenses or just life. We work with people who are surgeons and they just have high incomes and spend a lot of money and don't want to spend their time going through all my YouTube tutorials. We have a lot of people who are on the brink of retirement and they're like, this is not how I want to spend my retirement is watching YouTube videos. Just do this stuff for me. And then I want to travel for free with my grandkids. So we get clients who are that demographic. And then we also have a course for everybody who is more, I want to learn it on my own and I want to learn all the hacks. And that's more of a DIY on your own pace kind of course, where it goes through all of the ways to earn points and miles without having to open 20 different credit cards. Because once again, so much of the content on the internet is, hey, open more cards. There's so much good free information on the internet from the blogs and stuff, but it's very focused on getting you to use their links to apply for credit cards because that's how they get paid. And Depending on who they're going through, sometimes there are quotas for how many cards you have to sell per month to keep your links. So I wanted to make a course that was the exact opposite of that. So it's a course on all the ways outside of opening more and more cards that you can earn points. Yeah, that's really smart. Actually, that's kind of my go-to method is to open more cards. So I, I got to go get your course. You seem like the kind of person who really enjoys a challenge. Are you still challenged by what you're doing? I am, but the challenges are a little bit different. So in the future... I have to do more speaking engagements, doing workshops, especially different mastermind groups. There's so many business coaches out there who are like, here's how to start a business, whether it's Amazon, e-com style businesses, real estate business, influencer businesses, and all of them have curated great audiences who are ready to spend money and make money. And it's just the cherry on top for them to be able to work with someone where I can just train all of their students to say, hey, now that you've built this awesome business that coach whoever has taught you how to do, did you know you can also get, use all of that to travel for free? So I'd like to do those types of collaborations a lot more and be kind of a, a guest professor. Yes. I forgot what you call it. In a lot of different people's masterminds, masterminds are like one of my favorite things. So getting to work with other people that way. I have to also scale up and hire more people. There's so many people on the internet who are like, I'm so interested in points and miles and I help all my friends and family and I want to help even more people, but I don't want to make my own blog or my own YouTube or my own Instagram. What can I do? And eventually we're going to have more requests coming in for quick tutorials or client services or anything else like that. And so just being able to find more and more people who can help produce that type of content is going to be really key. So coming up with some kind of program to train other people and hire them in so that I can provide jobs for people and they can provide value to all of the different clients that we're bringing in is something I want to do as well. It is so interesting to hear how you think there's always a new peak. You get to the top, you see another one, and you're like, all right, let's go. So you seem to be invigorated by the journey, by the climb. How do you balance your ambition? Well, patience is the thing that sometimes it just takes a while to get there. Does that frustrate you or are you feeling, like, oh, I really do the journey, so it's okay? Everything moves much faster than I expected it to. Everything that could have 
having the Instagram growing, that happened way faster. The podcast, making money, selling a high ticket client, courses, meeting more people, people getting angry at me on the internet, all the good stuff and all the bad. That happened way sooner than I thought it was going to happen. I'm not a very patient person in general, but I am still surprised by how fast the world moves. What do you attribute that to? Is it something in you or did you just kind of pick the right lane and the rest is the current has carried you? But why is it moving so much faster? I think the world in general is moving faster, not just for me, but for a lot of people, everything just changes so fast. And I think the next frontier is also where AI is going to take all of this because that's going to be very, very interesting. So that has super accelerated how fast everything in the world is going. But for my personal journey, I think a lot of it is just I picked some bets that worked out pretty well. And it was mostly where is nobody else playing, where everybody else was playing in the blog space. Well, let's do videos instead. And then a whole bunch of people got an Instagram and everybody's let's focus on selling more through affiliate links because we can give free value if we focus on links. I'm like, yeah, let's do the opposite and be like, hey, instead of you me giving you free value for links, pay me for all the information not related to links. And a lot of these bets just kind of worked out and... It can be a little lonely sometimes, though, if you're the only one who's starting out on Instagram or you're going against the crowd. But we mentioned earlier in this podcast episode, I was the six-year-old who wasn't getting invited to birthday parties anyway. So I was kind of used to, hey, let's build this other thing over here by myself and see if it works out. That's such a good point. When you're going left and everybody's going right, there has to be some sort of internal fortitude there, some belief in yourself. Is it more so that you believe in yourself and your ideas, or is it you are curious to just see how it works out and you're not really afraid of what happens if it doesn't somewhere in between where are you on that spectrum i think it depends and i think a lot of it is that i just look at something that everybody else is already doing there's nothing to add there there's so many instagram accounts where I'm, everyone just posts the exact same thing and i don't really have anything else to add there and everybody just saw the same thing 12 times maybe i should just make something that's slightly different than all of that so that we all have something new and interesting to look at so i guess it's a little bit more of the curiosity space but also a little bit of I think that there is usually a better way to do something than the way that it's been done. And how can we iterate and innovate on that a little bit? And then I'm testing out and seeing if my theory works. And how much actuarial science comes into your decision making? Are you analyzing risk versus reward and all that? I don't think I explicitly model out the cost benefit analysis, but I think where the actuarial career has really helped is... Being able to delay gratitude, I'm going to study for the sake of studying and for the sake of being able to understand this and just the emotional fortitude that happens from these exams where every time you take one of these exams, you're putting in 300 to 600 hours per exam in six months of studying. And they're going to rank everybody and they're going to pass the top 40%. Every exam, you have a greater than 50% chance that you are not going to pass that exam and you're going to have to do it all over again. So... Just that emotional fortitude that comes, comes up with this yeah. stuff. Once I was done with the exams, I actually served on the exam committee. So that was interesting. But I don't know who decided that we should only pass 40% of people each time. Now, people will be upset if we don't do a little travel hacking. This is very quickly turning into a podcast about life decisions. and But we are going to throw in some travel hacking tips and tricks for someone who's just getting started. Any advice? Get your credit score up. If you're not there yet, if your credit score is not at 720, ignore everything else. Well, rule number one is pay off all your bills on time, too. If you're not in a place where you can pay off your credit card bills each month, save this. Come back to it later once you're there. Don't buy things just to earn more points. It's a cute $500 coat that I don't need, but I'm going to earn 500 points if I buy it. Don't be that person. 
also don't earn one point per dollar. There's lots of different strategic ways that you can do that. We cover quite a few of them. I have a free course at geobreachtravel.com slash free course. And it's just points and miles 101. This was another efficiency thing I did where people are, oh, she's going to upsell us through the course. I'm really not. I just got tired of answering the same questions over and over again. So I just dumped all of the FAQs into a free course. It's more organized now. Mm -hmm. It was an FAQ sheet in the beginning. And it was because every time somebody asked me the same questions over and over again, I would just reply, did you look at the free course? Now it's more organized and it takes you from ground zero to how to make your first redemption. Now, what are some of the myths that you're finding you're constantly having to bust around travel hacking? A lot of people are afraid of annual fees. I don't want to pay $95 to get a credit card, or I definitely don't want to pay $350 or $500 for a credit card. And this is maybe where a little bit of that actuarial thinking of cost-benefit analysis comes into play. Like, would you rather put zero in and get $100 out, or would you rather pay $100 in and get $6,000 out if you can only do one play? And so... I think that's really helped in the growing of the business too, where I say, okay, if this thing costs $2,000 a course or working with a coach or something costs me $2,000, I have to 10X my investment. So um, will I likely get $20,000 of value out of this? And usually I can't. If it's a reputable person and reputable program, I can usually 10X my investments. I have taken some courses that were hot garbage, but some (laughs) of them paid off really well. Well, the other question that I have to ask is, good starter bank. The most popular first credit card is the Chase Sapphire Preferred for people who are getting into points and miles for a couple reasons. It's cheaper than Chase Sapphire Reserve. It lets you transfer your points to a ton of different partners. So if you really want to make the most out of the points and miles game, you don't redeem your points through the Chase portal or the Amex portal. You learn how to move your points from Chase to Air Canada or to Virgin Atlantic. Because if you fly United a lot, you can actually buy the exact same United flights for cheaper if you book it through Air Canada. The exact same American Airlines flights can be booked for cheaper if you book it through British Airways. Or the exact same Delta flight can be booked for cheaper through Virgin Atlantic. So learning all of those things is definitely not a beginner thing. But having flexible points, Chase, Amex, City, Capital One, Built, those are very useful as well. And then I have a free credit card consultation form as well, geobreachtravel.com slash consultations, because a lot of people will produce, oh, here's my top 10 cards. A lot of them are the top 10 cards that pay most commissions. So just because something's a good offer doesn't mean it's a good offer for everybody. So I do the free consultations just to make sure that people get the card that is best suited for what they're actually trying to do. Because Hyatt's great, but it's not the best fit for everybody. Or maybe the Capital One Venture X is a great card, but not the great fit for everybody. So things got. And just to repeat, a lot of people will list their top 10 cards, but those are the cards that pay them the highest commissions. I do see that quite a bit. It's not necessarily the best card for you. So I love that you're doing that. That's, again, very admirable. How are you still learning? It seems you know a lot at this point. Where do you go to learn more? I mean, every week through the podcast, we're featuring somebody different. So hopefully I learn something new from everybody I have on the podcast. But I'm also looking outside of just points and miles and learning how to do different things from other creators in completely different industries, maybe through the beauty industry or the fitness industry or how somebody is scaling up their business if they are real estate agents or If they are into content creation, how to do YouTube videos, which I can learn from anybody. It doesn't have to necessarily be in points and miles. So I'm really expanding the different types of media that I look into and where I'm going for those types of media and if it's applicable into the points and miles industry. 
force our followers to see the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. all the time. This is going to be a little out of left field, and but have you ever thought about a tech startup? You seem you'll be one of the first points and miles billionaires. Have you ever thought about starting a startup? I, it takes a while to start a startup. When I was in college, I went to the University of Nebraska, and I was actually in a program called the Rake School of Computer Science and Management, where I majored in actuarial science. Minor in computer science, was very bad at it. That's how I met my husband. He was my computer science TA. I got an A plus in that class. But smart man. Yeah, I know a little more about tech startups than probably just the average person. And I think it would be an interesting thing to scale in the future because that is one of the ways that you can scale and reach a ton of people is through apps and software. And at some point, I would to maybe get there because with the type of content that I'm putting out, I do get complaints where it's the kind of content that people charge for a lot of the time. How would I find this booking on YouTube tutorials? There are people who charge for that service and there are people who have hot deals lists. And then I'm kind of showing here's how you can find those hot deals on yourself. And it's obviously just free on YouTube and just giving out that value for free. I think at some point there is going to be a big shift in the points and miles industry. And whatever that shift is can probably be fixed with some kind of automation or software. So we'll see what that is. I'm trying to stay at the forefront of it because... There's so many people who are getting into points and miles because those credit cards pay really good commissions and it's getting easier and easier to get affiliate links. If I had one prediction for the points and miles industry, it's going to be that we are one bad lawsuit away from Chase or Amex or somebody being, someone told me on TikTok that I could do this with points and miles and now I'm 500k in debt. That is my prediction is there is going to be something where there's, yeah, we're not going to just let these links be given out to anybody on the internet on TikTok anymore. So we're going to have to find a different way to monetize. And hopefully that can be by becoming client managers with me and serving all the people who are, I need my own personalized step-by-step tutorial. So maybe not necessarily an Uber platform where people are, I'll drive, I need a ride, I need a step-by-step tutorial. I can offer step-by-step as some kind of matching platform. That You're ahead of the curve. And that's a very good point. It's risky to build your business on top of somebody else's platform. And so you're kind of building your business off of your skill set and off the need for people to save time. And that's a timeless need. People are always trying to be more efficient with their time and they're willing to trade money for that. So maximum efficiency, a lot of times does come through tech. I don't know. I'm making a prediction about you. I think eventually you will tire of doing the normal hand-to-hand type of thing and you're going to go big. So I'm just putting it out there. I can't wait. I'm in your corner. I love the way you think. Now we have two more questions to go. The second to last one is, There are people out there who are listening who have giving hearts, who just love to help others. Can you think of anything you'd help with? It could be anything in the whole world. It doesn't have to be related to points and miles. It could be, I'm trying to learn how to knit, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Is there anything that someone could help you with? The most helpful thing is really just telling other people about the GeoBreeze Travel podcast or the Instagram or just sharing the channel with other people. That's probably I would want the most help with. It is interesting because I don't think anybody in my family has ever listened to the podcast as big as it is. They don't do points and miles. So that's how good of an influencer I am with my own family. That's the main thing that I would probably ask for, which obviously costs no money. Just maybe next time you're in an Uber, you're like, hey, can you put on the GeoBreeze Travel podcast and maybe you just leave it on for the next person who gets into that car. If See? you do that, let me know and I will give you all of the thing. Even that suggestion is such an unorthodox way of thinking about it. I'm telling you, you have a different sort of mindset. I love it. Now, 
if someone is out there who does leave the podcast on in an Uber and they want to tell you about it, how do they get in touch with you? I am on Instagram, mostly at GeoBreeze Travel. You can leave a comment on any of my YouTube videos. You can email me at GeoBreeze or Julia at There's a lot of ways to get a hold of me, but those are the main ways. And I'm going to throw in one more thing based on what I heard you say earlier. It's a way that people can help. If you have a mastermind group and you are looking for someone to come in and speak to your group and teach them what to do, how to take all this extra money that they're earning or spending on a business and turn it into free travel, Julia would love to come and speak with you. Is that right? Absolutely. Or if you're in a mastermind where you're just, hey, mastermind coach, I heard that there was this thing that we could all learn since we're all spending so much money on Amazon inventory or ads or whatever it is the mastermind teaches, then I would love to come and do a workshop for you guys. There you have it. Julia, thank you so much for stopping by and taking a chance on this very, very new podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. And we got to do this again at some point in the future when you're a billionaire. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure coming on to the show today. This has been one of the most fun conversations that I've had on a podcast. So thank you so much for having me on. All right, everyone. Well, remember to keep traveling on purpose. I'm still workshopping that last phrase there. I'm going to get it good, but you know, just got to throw some stuff out there. But yes, keep traveling and keep thinking about your purpose and don't be afraid to pursue it. All right, everyone. You take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a few new things about travel hacking and personal finance. If you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will really help us out. To learn more about travel hacking, be sure to check out our website at vacayhq.com. You can also follow us on social media for the latest tips and tricks. Until next time, happy travels.